The Lord Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world and his church, the pillar and ground of truth. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here. So glad you're with us. I wish you a good morning wherever you may be. And for the next hour, we're going to talk about biblical worldview and culture, the truth of God's Word, well, the truth of reality, because the biblical worldview is the real worldview, the truth. And uh, we're so glad you're listening to the American Family Radio Network. I'm going to give the number. We um, may have some folks that choose to join in the conversation, and if you want to call us, the number is 888 589-8840. Got a great hour of programming, and I want to talk with a, a guest that is a longtime friend and, and very valued colleague from the West Coast, Neil Mauman. Uh Neil is one of these guys that when you hear him talk, you just say, wow, I am really glad he's on our team. And uh, I'm going to bring him up now, and then I'll dive into some subject matter. But uh, Neil, are you there? I am. How are you, Alex? Well, I'm doing great. Good morning to you, my friend. Good morning to you from the West Coast, from the left coast, I should say. Yes. Uh, so you're in California. I've got to ask, are you in danger? Are they holding you against your will? How may we come and help you, Brother Neil? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I can't say that I'm in any danger yet, but, uh, you know, every, you know, the world is on fire. The the globe is warming. Uh, I don't know. Come on, think of some new, uh, uh, there's always some emergency here in California. Right? Yes, you know, we am. Um, we we need a a rescue and recovery mission for all the poor souls stranded in California. But no, you know, folks, um, Neil and I have been friends in the world of apologetics and biblical worldview for well more than a decade. What what's so cool is last week you and I were in Nashville, Tennessee, at the um, National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Um, I haven't talked to you in a couple of years just because of the busyness of life and ministry and. Now you and I get to do some radio last week, this week, and uh, what a blessing to get reconnected with you, my brother. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm honored to be on your show again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, folks, if you know the name Neil Mom, and it may be because of his wonderful book, Jesus Is Involved in Politics. Now, when you hear that title, folks, uh, because, listen, I grew up hearing ministers say, well, you know, you don't, you don't mix the pulpit and politics. You don't, good Christian people and certainly ministers of the gospel, we don't touch politics. And um, Neil, by the way, would you believe that um, in 2016, um, the governor's race in my home state of North Carolina, we had two choices. Uh, We had a person that was a professed Christian, pro-lifer, constitutionalist, right on all the issues, conservative, uh, great track record of leadership, Pat McCrory. And then we had a candidate, Roy Cooper, that was pro-abortion, pro-gay marriage, open borders. I mean, it it was as two two divergent worldviews as you could imagine, Uh, and I was asked by FRC, because I'm from North Carolina and no, pretty known throughout the state, there, there are 100 counties, and I had preached um, in 96 of the 100 counties. So I was asked to try to engage pastors that uh, with voters' guides, uh, which I did. 
Uh, and, you know, in much of North Carolina, we have rich bases of, of uh, you know, constituency. But over and over, I mean, big, major churches, pastors would say, oh, you know, Brother Alex, uh, you know I'm with you. Alex, you know we stand with you, but I don't touch politics. Anyway, long story <laughs> short, the Christian conservative constitutionalist lost the pro abortion, pro-gay marriage, progressive socialist won, and uh, it was only by a few thousand votes, but uh, I had to confess to the Republican National Convention and FRC, uh, and we did our best. We had a lot of boots on the ground. I said, but um, pastors throughout North Carolina, uh, (laughs) the ones that you think would be very vocal for truth really weren't. You could not get many of the pastors engaged. And all of that to cue up your book, Neil, Jesus is involved in politics. Why do you feel like in the minds of so many Christians and so many clergy, it's just anathema to, you from the pulpit, address moral, social, political issues? Well, I think we've been brainwashed into it. For instance, one of the reasons is that uh, back in the uh, 50s, uh, a very bad senator named Lyndon Johnson was running for office in Texas, and uh, at that time he and he was he was a very corrupt man, and there were a number of uh, nonprofits that were not Christian, they were not religious, that tried to stop him from being elected a senator. This is before he became vice president and then later president. So they fought against him tooth and nail and uh, using their nonprofit status, obviously, for like donations and whatnot. And so he, when he became senator, when he was elected, because the corruption was great in Texas at that time, and, uh, when he was elected, he immediately um, uh, passed an amendment uh, that was voted, and it's called the Johnson Amendment, that basically said, if you're a nonprofit, you can't get involved in politics. Now, what happens is, and a lot of people don't realize this, and I say this all the time, laws change hearts, and people you know, disagree with that all the time. I mean, it may not change your heart to become a Christian, but it will change your heart towards the law, uh, towards what you think is good and bad. And so pastors, as a result of that law, for the last you know, 50, 60 years, um, have thought, oh, well, the law says I shouldn't get involved in politics. And, and of course, the the thing that they use against them is they say you will lose your 51c3 nonprofit status if you get involved in politics. So uh, hey, now let's address here. this uh, just for one second because uh, church church folk across America, this is going to be very helpful for you. Uh, and Neil, I've heard it. Uh, dozens of times, pastors will say, and they'll uh, sort of misspeak. They'll say, "We'll lose our five O C one three. I mean, they, they, gar- yeah, yeah. they garble it. <laughs> garble. Yeah, right. They don't know what it is. Yeah. Churches yeah, so- don't need a five O one C three because exactly. churches, by constitu- uh, by congressional law, are exempt from taxes anyway, aren't they? Yes. They don't have to pay property taxes. When you donate to them, you get a write-off. Uh, you know, you basically are exempt from that portion on your taxes. So all these things. But here's the thing: even if they did, even if the even if they did need that write-off, in the history of this law, not a single church has ever lost its 
tax deduction as a result of speaking about politics. And so, in fact, every year on Freedom Pulpit Freedom Sunday, uh, thousands of churches, I think it's, I don't know what the number is up to now, but thousands of churches, godly churches around the United States will preach, pastors will preach a very political sermon. They will mail it to the IRS and say, come on and get me. And the IRS always uh, reluctantly or happily says, no, we're not coming after you. We're not interested. In fact, they don't even respond to them. Um, and when the churches do that, the American, uh, sorry, the Alliance for Defending Freedom and a bunch of other Pacific Justice Institute uh, advocates for faith and freedom, all these guys are standing by just itching to take that case. Here's why. Because they know they will win, and they know that yeah. the IRS will then be forced to pay them all their legal fees. And what sounds better to a lawyer than to know that he's going to be able to sue somebody and get paid by the other party because they'll win yeah. the case? Uh, and yet, and the no. IRS never takes them up on it. Hey, hey, by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Alex McFarland. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network, and we're talking with our friend and colleague, Neil Mauman. He is uh, doing a lot of great work on behalf of God and country, but uh, I do want you to be uh, familiarized with his book, Jesus Is. That's a present tense verb. Jesus is involved in politics. And a website uh, that could familiarize you with that book and a uh, brilliant line of thinking is Jesus is involved in politics.com. Hey, uh, Neil, have you ever had an atheist or a secularist say to you, well, you know, churches don't pay their fair share, and, you know, think about the billions of tax revenue that could inure to the U.S. government, but churches are getting this free ride. Have you ever heard the this secularist argue along those lines? Yes. Yes, all the time. And, and of course, that's absolutely nonsense, because I tell them, I said, you know, they did a calculation once, uh, and they found out that a church of about 400 saves the city, uh, not 400, a church of about 100 people saves the city or county almost $150,000 in cost, just by yes. all their programs they have, just a small church. Now, I take a big church like a 4,000 or something. And when I were talking about saving all millions in costs for the city, mm. and that's in the youth programs, that's in the Sunday schools, that's in the counseling, that's in the, that's just, and then, and by the way, they did that calculation using $11 an hour uh, as a value oh, per word. hour. <laughs> Yeah. And now, who you know what? I was, in the city gets $11 an hour? <laughs> Neil, I was uh, interviewed by a journalist from uh, Gannett Newspapers. And, um, you know, I was, I was thinking, because it was about, you know, uh, Christianity and political and moral issues. Now, I, I kind of thought he would be one of these churches should pay tax guys. But surprisingly, from Gannett Newspapers, and um, I'm not going to give the guy's name, although I could— uh, but he shared a lot, and he, he said he was an agnostic, but he passionately believed churches were in the right to, to be exempt from taxes, because here's what he said. He said uh, the food pantries and clothes closets mm -hmm. and literacy programs, he said churches do so much benevolent work and so much good. He said there's no way that the U.S. government if the churches were, were suddenly gone, there's no way that all of the social services and the benevolence and the good and just being the glue that holds communities together, there's no way the government could or should 
do those programs. And this uh, Gannett journalist who heads up coverage, uh, part of his beat mm-hmm. is the religion beat. He said, no, one of the best things that Congress ever did was exempt churches from uh, paying tax. And I, I thought that right. was a, a pretty solid yeah, affirmation of what yeah. we teach. Yeah, very impressive, especially when a news reporter understands what's going on. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so um, you and I were talking in Nashville last week about Black Lives Matter. It's funny, I was with a um, minister from a church yesterday who had a Black Lives Matter pin on. Now, folks, let me just say this categorically. The, the, the Word of God affirms the value of all human beings. And we want to say this from the get-go. Racism is wrong, and true Christians, true followers of the Lord Jesus are not racist. We, we love and affirm all life because human beings are made in the image of God. And because we're made in God's image, because we are people for whom Christ died, every human being has worth, value, and dignity. Uh, nevertheless, Neil, you as a thinker and as a scholar, uh, you've had some problems with the Black Lives Matter ideology, right? Yes, because they're Marxists. Uh, they're actually racist. Uh, they're, uh, in fact, almost everything that they uh, prescribe as a solution on their website is actually the cause of black, what we call black blight. The, you know, African Americans have a lower medium income in America. They have lower literacy rates. Uh, they have uh, there's more violence among them. There's more incarceration amongst them. Uh, and we can go down to the whole list of reasons why African Americans aren't actually kind of the group of the community that has been left behind by America. But it's not because of racism. It's actually because of something else. And I guess we'll have to talk that about that after the break, right, Alex? Uh, Good job, good job. Hey, folks, the American (laughs) Family Radio Network is so glad that you're listening. Alex McFarland here along with our guest, author, scholar, uh, biblical worldview expert, Neil Mammon. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's wrong with Black Lives Matter and what's right with affirming that all Black Lives Matter. Stay tuned. We're going to be back after this brief break. Judy Goodell and her husband set up a charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation. What we love about it is that it represents stewardship principles that we feel strongly about. So we got very, very excited about this opportunity. With a charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation, an AFA supporter can guarantee a permanent monthly income, as well as supporting the American Family Association for years to come. We do feel convicted about really praying about all that God has really blessed us with. And so many people we know just want to leave it all to their kids. And we know the danger of that. And so we just are really just trying to pray through it. And God gave us great confirmation as we prayed that this would be a good use of the Lord's money. Find out if a charitable gift annuity is right for you at 800-326-4543, extension 345, or email foundation at afa.net. If you 
are engaging in sexual sin, today is the day to repent. As it was corrupt in Judah, let's be honest, the same things are happening today. The pornography addiction amongst the body of Christ is through the roof. And by and large, many in the church are not discussing these things too often because many of the people who are entrusted with the responsibility to do so, they're bound themselves. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III on American Family Radio. What would you do? On Sadie, I appreciate your thought behind the gift card, but I just can't take it. I promise not to shop at Target because they allow men in areas that need to be private and protected for women and children. I hope you'll go to afa.net slash Target and learn about it. I'm not giving them my money. Aunt Sadie didn't know about AFA's call to boycott Target, but she knows now, and so do you. Learn even more at afa.net slash Target. afa.net slash Target. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Cochran from Mercy Me. We want you to know that freedom from addiction is possible and it starts at Adult and Teen Challenge. I was so high and I was so drunk that I couldn't walk, I couldn't even stand up, I couldn't speak, and I collapsed in my garage. All I remember is my mom screaming from what they've told me. They had given CPR until the ambulance got there, and then I awoke two days later in the hospital. I heard about Teen Challenge. I came here. This place has shown me that it truly does care. They don't want you to live how you live anymore. They don't want you to feel how you feel. They want you to feel and see yourself how Christ sees you. For over 60 years, Adult and Teen Challenge has been providing hope and healing for a new drug-free future through the power of Jesus Christ. They have a variety of programs for men, women, teens, and more in hundreds of centers nationwide. You can find the center nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or teenchallengeusa.org. You're listening to American Family Radio. In the Word of God, the book of Jude, little little brief New Testament book, Jude verse 3 says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Earnestly contend, passionately stand up for, and articulately, fruitfully, effectively defend truth. And that's our, our life goal here. And uh, welcome back to the American Family Radio Network, Alex McFarland. By the way, I'll be on as I am every afternoon live um, three to four central, four to five eastern, and so forth, exploring the word. Hey, and by the way, our biblical worldview camp for youth now in its 24th year, uh, July 17th through 22nd, we've got biblical worldview apologetics camp. Now, um, just coincidentally, this year we are in North Carolina, my home state, uh, about an hour east of Raleigh, super easy to get to. And if you go to my website, which is alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com, or here's another website. The actual website of the camp that we've rented is ncrefuge.org. And uh, look, there's fishing and hiking and horseback riding and ropes course and all the kind of fun camp stuff. But myself, Will, and Miki Addison, they're amazing from AFR. They're going to be there. And we're going to talk to the middle schoolers and high schoolers about God and country. Being a disciple, standing for truth, and uh, so check out this camp. The theme is Unashamed, Building Your Biblical Worldview. Summer Camp, Apologetics 2022, it's going to be great. But I want to bring back my my friend, my colleague, Neil Mammon. Hey, Neil, think about this. Uh, Jude says we are to earnestly contend for the faith, and uh, 
I want to throw something out. I want you to comment on it. Uh, folks, listen to this. If you're ever in a debate, uh, a way that you can attempt to control the narrative is present your opponent with something called a false dichotomy, like either or, and 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 you've you've put in front of your uh, opponent two options, um, neither of which is what they want, and you get them on what we call the horns of a dilemma. Now, in the case of Black Lives Matter, and Neil, I want you to tell me if I'm thinking correctly here, the way that the left framed the conversation about race was this, either you support the ideology of Black Lives Matter or you're a racist. Now, now that's what I would call a false dichotomy because in reality, neither of those options is right. We're not racists, but yet we're not Marxists either. And so what you do when you're on the horns of a dilemma, you help point out the more accurate third way. No, it's not these two things. And Neil, would you say the, the, the mandate that either you support Black Lives Matter or you're a racist, that's a classic use of a false dichotomy to control the, the trajectory of the conversation, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, they, they want you, uh, in fact, they're forcing you into this dichotomy because they don't want you to have a solution. They want you to either accept the Marxism or they want you to accept uh, that you're a racist. Although what's funny about the whole racist thing is <clears throat> once they, they also teach something called critical race theory, which says it doesn't matter. You're a racist anyway. <laughs> Even if you, uh, as long as you're white uh, and not black, you're a racist, right? So they, they want to push you into that racist mold regardless, which is kind of uh, but, their modus operandi. But isn't that in itself a racist proposition? That Absolutely. I am, I'm evil, I'm, pre, uh, I'm preloaded with software merely because I'm a Caucasian. Yes, um, because, well, you have to understand, the, the, the thinking that they have is that they want to break down and destroy American culture, Western civilization. I mean, the Great Reset, right? They want to destroy everything that is in the West. And when they say they want to destroy Western civilization, what they mean is they want to destroy Western morals and standards and create their own. And so this is all part of it. But so the way we deal with it, and I know you're leading to this. <laughs> uh, the way we deal is that we say we 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 use an Aikido move, and if you're familiar with what, martial what arts, so an Aikido is a martial art where rather than if somebody strikes at you, rather than blocking their hit, you kind of just turn to the side and redirect their hit away, right? And this Aikido move is actually very useful in all sorts of ways when you're dialoguing with people. Um, so, for instance, if somebody comes up and says to you, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, you know, in the news, they had this group of people yelling at this lady, trying to force her to say Black Lives Matter when she was sitting at a restaurant. Um, in fact, there was a interview with uh, some uh, uh, some senators and vice and the vice president and stuff, and they were trying to force them to say the words Black Lives Matter. But all these people on on the other side knew uh, on the side that didn't want to say Black Lives Matter didn't want to say Black Lives Matter because they knew that BLM was a Marxist, transgender, you know, uh, all these types of organizations. So they didn't want to say that. So what we tell people, we say, instead of saying 
Black Lives Matter, you should turn to them and say, well, I think that every single black life matters. Do you? Okay. And this now turns it around to them. And now, now who's going to say, if they've been yelling Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, you say, I think every single black life And then you say, does every black life matter to you? And you're trying to make them say every black life matters. And then if, they're, if they, whatever they say, you say, you see, you know, the reality is that there are, um, you know, the African-American community has a 72% fatherlessness rate. That means uh, one out of, um, uh, of every child born in a house, 72% of them, of every 100 kids born in a house, 72 of those kids don't have a father in the home. Uh, and the reason they don't have a father in the home is because of Lyndon Johnson. Remember that name? <laughs> Where did we oh, hear that yes. before? Lyndon Johnson in the 70s said that he wanted to make sure that the African, he used the N-words, the African-Americans will vote for his party for the next 200 years. And so he went after them with, because before that, African-Americans never voted Democrat. They only voted Republican. Why? Because right. the Republicans were the one who freed them from slaves. The first black senators was a uh, was a Republican. The first black representative was a Republican. You know, you can go down that list. So he wanted to bring them over to his side, and so he went after the African American community, and he started forcing, or well, not forcing, but introducing, in, in a sense, forcing. It's the same coercion that keeps me in California, right? Um, mm -hmm. Coercing them with money, right? I'm here because I'm an engineer, and the jobs are here, right? So that's but, but you were you were born in Ghana, right? I was born in Africa. Yeah, I was born in Ghana, and I grew up in Ethiopia and Sudan and Yemen and Jamaica. Uh, my parents are from Indian origin, but as I say, I'm uh, culturally African by birth. And uh, do, do you identify as an African American? Well, I didn't because I didn't understand. Uh, because I, I said, you know, I'm not an African American. I, I am more of a Ghanaian or, an, or you know, or African than I do as an African American. But now, of course. Uh, my co-founder of the, uh, the 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 organization that we're talking about, uh, he came and he said, "Well, you're an African American. In fact, you're more African American than I am." Uh, and I'll I'll get into that story shortly. But uh, mm -hmm. so so the so the sad thing there. So here's um, here's Lyndon Johnson, and he's pushing welfare. Now, in the '60s, the fatherlessness rate in the African American community was only 22 percent, which is bad, but it's not. It's not as horrible as 74%. And from the 70s to now, the African-American fatherlessness grew to that 72% number. And the reason it grew is because when Lyndon Johnson came and started giving them welfare, he said, you know, the welfare came with, uh, with, uh, with strings attached. And one of the strings that was attached was that if you had no father in the home, you got more money. And so as a result, the African-American fatherlessness started to rise and rise and rise. And in fact, back in the 70s, there were many senators, even Democrat senators, uh, Patrick Moynihan, for one, said, this is a bad idea. This is going to affect this community. It's going to affect all communities, but especially affecting the African-American community. And um, But no, that's what happened. So as a result now, and again, nothing to do with racist. Race, you know, it's not being anyone being racist. It's not the racist that put them there. It was government programs that put them there. So in our conversation with with BLMers, I say, yeah, I know you care about black lives, but do you care about every single black life? And then I said, did you know that because of those social programs, those socialist social programs, the fatherlessness rate in African-American communities went from 22% to something like 72% in the last 40 years. Do those fatherless black lives 
matter to you? Mm. Now, of course, wow. what are they and, going to say? They're going to have to say yes. <laughs> and of course they do. Now, now <laughs> for some of the BLM ideologues that that really, you know, and and I've dialogued with some of these people, and you know, my my heart breaks. I mean, my heart breaks for for the conditions of living in in the lives of a lot of ethnicities that are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in poverty. But, um, you know, I, I've detected in some of the people with whom I've spoken, Neil, just this vehement, almost hatred of America. And it's not so much that they want to help the, the you know, the betterment of, of black Americans, but they want to hurt America itself. I mean, there there's just this seething vitriol against the USA that seems to permeate uh, the speech and the the posturing a lot of a lot of the BLM leaders. Yes, um, but but that's all programmed into them because you have to understand where is what is the roots of BLM. The roots of BLM is Marxism, but precisely the Frankfurt School, right? The Frankfurt School is a group of people, socialists, that came to America from Germany. It was uh, Germany was becoming Nazi. It was going down the Nazi route, Nazi form of socialism. Remember, Nazi stands for National Socialism. And they had a different idea on how socialism should be, so they went head-to-head with our friend, or their friend, Mr. Hitler. Uh, and he, uh, he, and they decided that Hitler was not the kind to argue about different flavors of socialism, so they escaped. They ran away and they came to America. Well, when they came to America, they wanted to implement Marxism here in America. It was in 1934, that time frame, uh, just as Hitler was coming to power. Uh, mm-hmm. And they realized that Americans would not embrace socialism because Americans were too independent, Christianity was too strong, the family was really strong, and the economy was really, you know, even though in the 30s it was kind of shaky, but it was doing reasonably well. And so they decided that the only way they could bring socialism to America was to destroy all those foundations. So they had a five-fold attack. One was the family, one was the church, one was the economy, two was the, uh, and the last one was, uh, the fourth one was education, and finally was to bring about racial strife in America. And the idea was if they broke America's back, then socialism and Marxism would be able to infiltrate it. And since then, the communist Chinese and the communist Russians and everybody else have been working towards that goal. And one of those goals, and, one of the ways they... Neil, no, let me interject this, folks. If You know, all these terms like, you know, uh, Marxism and the Frankfurt School, I mean, if these are new to you and you're, you might be thinking, you know, why do I need to know about a lot of dead philosophers? Well, critical theory came out of the Frankfurt School, didn't it, Neil? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and in fact, liberation Hor- theology, too. Uh, Horkheimer was this philosopher who set forth the idea that critical theory could be used to implement change. You could deconstruct yeah. a society and rebuild it the way you wanted. That's why all this thing, America is systemically bad, systemically racist. You know, y- you can't help it if you're a Caucasian, conservative, freedom-loving American. You are racist, and it's built into your DNA, and we've got to change that. This is all out of this German Marxist philosophy that uh, was was here in America 90 years ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you have to connect something else to critical theory. The other thing that was critical theory is that, and this comes from even earlier than Horkheimer and um, Adorno and those Adorno and those guys from the Frankfurt School, 
this is the what they call higher criticism. Have you ever heard of the higher criticism? Of course, you have, Alex, of higher criticism sure, of sure. the Bible, where they go in and they tear the Bible down and they say, oh, look, you know, the, really the the Old Testament, the, the book of Moses was written by five people and, you know, and they, right, and they right. break everything down and, oh, no, Jesus didn't really say these words. This is all added later. Well, even though they have, and how did you decide it was added? Oh, we voted on <laughs> whether Jesus you know, was the kind of person who would say these things. You know? Jesus seminar. Um, and, yeah. hey, we'll have to, that's another conversation for another day, folks. But, I want to interject this, and then I'll let you continue. Folks, be encouraged. The truth will stand. And I want to say this. The truth is defensible. Neil, um, uh, 800 years ago, Thomas Aquinas, by the way, he lived 1225 to 1274, but he said this about Christianity, but I'm going to say it about reality. Um, Aquinas said every possible argument against Christianity has a rational mistake in it somewhere. And therefore, there exists the possibility that it be answered. I want to say this. Every possible argument against truth and for error, there are either accidental or intentional rational mistakes in there. And and truth can be defended. Neil, uh, whether it's the truth of the Bible being the Word of God, Jesus the Son of God, or even our liberty and the moral principles written on every heart, truth has suffered attack, darkness has been sold to us, but the truth can be defended, error can be refuted, and for God and country, we have to rise to this calling, don't we? Absolutely. In fact, we are called to defend the truth, right? We're called Because in truth... We have, along with truth, is morality. And what is morality? Morality is protecting people against evil. And it's not just morality of the things that I do. Why, why does God ask us to do something that is good and not evil? It's because anytime we do something evil, we hurt other people. God's laws, all God's laws are given because they will protect us and others. from pain Neil, and I, I want you to give that website for every single Black Lives Matters. What is that website? It's everyblm.com, everyblm.com, every Black Life Matters, everyblm.com. Hey, we're out of time right now. May we, may we visit again soon? Absolutely. Thank you. I'd be honored to. Everyblm.com. Folks, the American Family Radio Network is going to be right back after this. Alex McFarland, so glad you're listening. Stay tuned. More to come this hour where we celebrate, imbibe, and prayerfully work to defend truth. Don't go away. We're back after this brief break. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute. No way. There's a way. The Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. When you hear this. This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow 
political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Here's some great news. If you miss the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back, Alex McFarland. So honored to be with you on the American Family Radio Network. By the way, if you go to AFR.net, AFR, as in AmericanFamilyRadio.net, there's a lot of good things on that site, but one is a station finder. I get this question all the time. People say, well, I live in this or that state, and where can I hear the radio? Now, of course, it's streamed online all the time on on AFR.net. But you can find the station near you. But also, for all mobile devices, there's a wonderful AFR app. Uh, check it out. All kinds of great archive content. My own show, which is Exploring the Word, Bible teaching show heard every afternoon. Of course, you've got Today's Issues and Sandy Rios and Airing the Addisons and Washington Watch with Tony Perkins. Just all of the great AFR content to uh, really inspire, equip, empower mobilize and dispatch people who love God and country, and we certainly do. Well, I've got a a person that I want you to meet that uh, is uh, J.P. DeGantz. J.P. DeGantz has a book out uh, called Endgame, The Church's Strategic Move to Save Faith and Family in in America. Uh, Mr. DeGantz, thanks for holding, and welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Excited to be with you. Well, it's good to have you. Um, uh, may I ask, where, where are you calling in from? 
Oh, Northern Virginia. I'm, I'm outside of the Beltway, so you can't blame me for anything in Washington, but uh, <laughs> I am in the Northern Virginia area. Wonderful. Well, I'm in North Carolina, so we're both on the East Coast. Hey, you know, um, let me let me throw out a quote here, and then I want to hear about your book, but um, you might have, Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages. Uh, you're familiar with Dr. Sure. Chapman. Uh, he's course, a longtime friend, and uh, I interviewed him about two months ago, and he was talking about how he's counseled couples over the years, and you know his concept of the five love languages. You know, you know your your spouse's love language, whether it's words of affirmation or time. Uh, but he said that he felt like any marriage could be saved if you really knew your partner's love language and spoke to it. And when I I hear about that, it, it reminds me, or it, it resonates really with your book, a game plan for a church-led marriage renaissance. Uh, we've got to value marriage and family. Um, God is is for marriage and family. But like Dr. Chapman and like you say, that um, marriage marriage can be saved and marriages are worth fighting for. And uh, that's something the church has got to commit itself to. Amen. To that, and in fact, uh, and I would say to anybody listening, they, uh, I would add to it that the ability for us to advance the gospel, to spread faith in Jesus Christ, and lead more souls into heaven is completely dependent upon it. And that's one of the key points of the book. That I think a lot of times pastors see it as an important ministry uh, among many other ministries. But what we unpack is that the last sixty years of decline in faith in Jesus in the West and in the United States, is entirely wrapped up causally in the collapse of marriage. That that actually a millennial who grows up in an intact married home, and if, if that's the only thing I know about him or her, then uh, he or she is just as likely to go to church every single week as a baby boomer if the boomer also grew up in an intact married home. Uh, mm-hmm. What we uncovered... In, in, in the research that led to the book, was that, uh, sure, uh, faith in Christ and, and uh, uh, active faith participation does appear to be on the decline overall, but, uh, but when you control for family structure, it, it is not. And um, what's changed is, is family structure. And so and, yeah. and none of that should be surprising to us as Christians, that uh, obviously— uh, uh, scripture begins with a marriage in the garden, and it ends uh, with the wedding of the Lamb, and, and everywhere in between, uh, God tells his, his love story uh, to us as a spousal one. So, so really, uh, salvation is wrapped up in, in so many ways in this. And so, that, it's one yeah. of our messages to pastors that that, that we got to we got to uh, uh, the church needs to own the uh, the idea of ministry. Uh, to relationship health and to marital health, because it, it is the best way to advance uh, the gospel. Exactly. You know, uh, JP, I've got a shelf of sociology books, uh, not Christian books per se, but but scholars that basically say the state of marriage and family defines just about everything else about the future of our culture. That, that yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's there's been an avalanche of, of research into this by secular scholars. Uh, you know, every 
concern that's, that would be a secular concern that's a, that's a worthy concern, everything from depression, suicide, drug use, uh, overdoses, educational attainment, crime, uh, all of it's wrapped up in this. And, and uh, since the year 2000, the number of people getting married has collapsed 31%. And since the year 1970, it's collapsed 61%. And I know, you know there's a saying that marriage civilizes men, and I know uh, I know my oh, wife yes. would agree with that. And, um, and and so, if that's true, what that really means is what we've never been in a place in our society where there's more uncivilized men in our communities, and and that's just uh, confirmed over and over again in in the the daily news. So uh, this is important. Uh, it's a it's a deep need, and I think. Pastors and, and church, uh, Christians, we understand this when we go to Africa and we bring the gospel there. We don't, we don't start right off the bat uh, 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 by teaching. What we start with is filling a need. We see a need, like uh, there isn't clean drinking water. There isn't a good uh, agricultural techniques. And so then we help, as missionaries, get water and help them with, with their food supply. And then... Uh, folks want to know why we love them, why we're there for them, and then we can have the relationship to share the gospel. I'm telling you, in the first world, we don't have the kind of we don't have uh, African levels of poverty, but we do have something uh, uh, that's at least uh, as as challenging, or probably more so, which is a is a deep poverty in 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 our relationships, a deep poverty in what the culture is telling us about our relationships, uh, telling single people how they should live, how they should, uh, how they should approach sex, how they, uh, how married people uh, should live or not live. And, and uh, that is creating a lot of, um, the world is speaking loudly uh, to, to our people. And it's time that the church, uh, uh, we, we've got the answers. Uh, uh, and, and it's time for us, uh, I think, to effectively proclaim those answers and support couples, support singles, so that that they can orient themselves well towards towards getting married. Yeah. Um, why, uh, JP, is the future health of the country so inextricably tied to the state of marriage? I mean, uh, because yeah. uh, speak to that if you would, because uh, I've yep. said this: if, if you want to serve the Great Commission and Help save America. Be a champion for family. I mean, yeah, I'm going to give. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the question, right? And and uh, uh, I'm going to give a quick secular, uh, a couple secular data points and uh, or sociological data points is the better uh, way to describe it, right? Um, a guy named Gary Becker won the Nobel Prize in the 1990s. It's hard to believe because he gave an economic. Uh, uh, explanation of the family. And um, uh, what he found was that the family in the, the two-parent family actually was the most efficient means, the most efficient means of forming human capital. Human capital uh, is the engine for growing and building a healthy society. That is every, how human capital is everything that we know, as the individual knows, our, all of the soft capital of how we interact with others, how do we interact uh, internally in ourselves? How are we motivated uh, uh, to provide for others, to provide for ourselves? All that, all that, uh, all that is wrapped up. That's that's human capital, and nothing 
nothing can replace, it, it, at least this is a Nobel Prize uh, winner, so nothing really uh, uh, comes close to the family in forming it. And so what's happened over the last uh, 40 to 60 years is, is the family has collapsed, and we can go into a lot of the reasons why. The government has grown to try to form the human capital that used to come from the family. And, and the state can't do that very well. Um, and, and that's that's what you're that's what you're seeing. The, the schoolhouse can't replace the human capital of the family, right? right. When a child is from a single uh, uh, parent family shows up for kindergarten, the word gap is a is a multi seven figure word gap. Yes. And that five year old that five year old has heard millions fewer words spoken in his or her presence. What that means is what that means is uh, that the child's lifelong is going to have a lifelong vocabulary gap in all likelihood, okay, that a school can't overcome, okay, or find will find it incredibly challenging to overcome. So all that fuels, uh, fuels this, this stuff. And I'll throw one other item that is well known in social sciences is adverse childhood experiences, okay? Uh, adverse childhood experiences, social scientists and psychologists will tell you the more of these that you have, the less flourishing you have as an adult. The more uh, depression, the more likely you are to commit crime, the more likely you are uh, to be a risk to society. And um, generally speaking, kids who grow up in homes with mom and dad there uh, have less adverse childhood experiences. It doesn't mean they have none, and I'm not saying that. I don't want any listener to think that I, that, that uh, kids from two-parent married homes uh, don't, have, don't have problems, okay? Numerically speaking, from a social science perspective, they have far fewer adverse childhood experiences. That's what the data says. And so as a consequence, as those grow, those adverse childhood experiences grow in homes where there aren't a mom and a dad there, that spills over to the health of our society. That means uh, individuals who are uh, uh, need more services from the state and produce less revenue to the state, as a, as a for instance, right? Um, you, it, it, uh, it's often said that that in prisons, there's a lot of cards that go out on Mother's Day and very few cards that go out on Father's Day, right? Sure. So it means I've always you have heard that. more, a, a greater uh, p- a, a, a population of, uh, of incarcerated individuals. So, uh, so nearly every uh, measure that you can look at uh, from a social science perspective that's, that's negative is, is powerfully correlated to the collapse of the family. And then it also ties into the collapse of the church, okay? So this isn't that the church can just stand back and go, wow, that's a really terrible thing for society, but we're okay. No, it, it actually drives uh, a, a significant, it makes it a lot harder. Uh, when Jesus says in the Gospels, and he gives the, the, the parable of, 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 uh, of throwing the seeds, and uh, those seeds thrown on rocket, rocky soil, Okay, uh, they might grow for a bit and then and then die off, right? Um, uh, it's and, hard. And to, JP, uh, l- l- yep. let me throw this in there. You know, uh, thirty years ago, people were saying that you know liberal education drew people towards secularism and thus the breakdown of the family. It was it was almost like um, the breakdown of the church and then the breakdown of the family. But in reality, data is showing that first the, there was the weakening and the unraveling of the family, then the abandonment of church. I mean, that's, that's why exactly. I, I always said, yeah. if, if you want yeah, to restore you're, you're, the church, then be a champion for family. That you, you, you are 100% correct. That's what the, the data is overwhelming on this now. Uh, we, we've got to get away from repeating myths 
that are not grounded or supported by historical or social science data. Uh, the, the, the family, you know, the sexual revolution begins in 1960, um, and you start having the decoupling. And my co-author and I go into the, the what, what he calls the decoupling effects. What used to have a package deal, Alex, where you had marriage was coupled together tightly with uh, parenting, which was coupled tightly together with sex, which was coupled together tightly with partnership. And what happened was you first decoupled marriage from sex, which then decoupled uh, marriage from parenting, which now we have a society where we've increasingly decoupled uh, uh, partnering from marriage, meaning you've got long-term cohabiting relationships uh, where there's no marriage. And uh, and we need to know the data around this. Our pastors need to know it. Our uh, Christians need to know it, for instance. Uh, uh, if a person long-term cohabitates, then breaks up that cohabitation, meets somebody, does everything right, and then gets married, that marriage, the effect of the of the first cohabitation, actually spills into the marriage, is what the data says, that that, that marriage is as vulnerable as a second marriage, meaning somebody who divorced and remarried. The, the, the rates of divorce are, are exceedingly high. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's a for instance that people don't know. You think that there's no, you know, um, we don't want our, our 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 kids cohabiting, and and gosh, we wish they wouldn't do that. Uh, uh, and, but but there's long, real long term effects of that that spills spills into the family. Well, you know, we've got to talk again soon. I really appreciate you so much, and uh, your book and where people can find it. Yeah, endgamebook.org. You can find it, endgamebook.org. You can also find it on Amazon. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me. God bless you, J.P. DeGant, standing strong for marriage, family, and ultimately the country and the gospel. Folks, let me just say this. Uh, The American Family Radio Network is committed to helping you understand truth, be equipped not only to live truth and impart truth to your family, but to be a defender and an emissary of truth because not only does our world need it, the Lord has commissioned us to live it and proclaim it. I want to say God bless you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back at 3 p.m. Central with Exploring the Word. Tell somebody about AFR, but tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.